you're out there and you've just got one goal and you want to catch the biggest and best fish and you want to be better than everybody else. So, so that really keeps me focused. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. When we consider family seafood dynasties, there's probably few as quintessentially South Australian or as diverse as the tuna fishing steer family from the west coast seafood town of Port Lincoln. They've been fishing 50 plus years across a range of fisheries, but tuna is in their blood and that love of southern bluefin has been handed down generationally. The family's also gone on to build a diverse seafood portfolio, nurtured their own children into seafood businesses and are looking to a future where the grandkids will be ready to take their spots alongside them. Being the prodigal son of the inimitable Hagen Steer, one of Australia's most innovative, determined and pioneering fishermen would be daunting for most. Marcus Steer, however, has built on the family heritage, adding his rare natural gift for fishing to create one of the great fishing companies in Australia. Hi, um, I'm Marcus Steer. I'm, I'm first and foremost a fisherman. I've, I've, um, I've fished all my life and I've gone right through the evo- evolution, so, so, to, so to speak. Done a lot of fishing um, in my younger years and I still go um, tuna fishing today and I still really look forward to it. Um, my, my forte is looking for fish and finding fish and finding ripplers and flattening patches and fish shining and bird patches and doing all of that sort of stuff. We're just getting ready for our tuna season now. But um, I guess I've morphed into the managing director of, um, of, of the steer group. When I left school, I went to um, Westminster boarding school. And when I finished um, matriculation, I basically finished that year and I, I jumped on a plane and flew over to New South Wales and I got on our family vessel, the Leonard Star, which was a persona over there. And um, we went tuna fishing over there, and I can always remember catching these massive, big southern bluefin tuna by line and by pole and 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 by net, and they were the real, real um, heady um, first fishing fishing days um, of of my life. And um, there was certainly certainly um, a, a lot going on. Then it was a lot more like wild, uh, you know, back back in those days, and. Um, and you know, in, anything went back then, so to speak. And this year, uh, the, in these days, everything's you know like um, a, a lot more controlled, and everything's a lot more environmentally friendly and um, sustainable. It was certainly a, a much more wild and robust back in the early days. I live in um, Port Lincoln in South Australia. It's probably the the biggest. Um, fishing seaport um, in 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 Australia. There's like a, a multitude of different fisheries in Port Lincoln. Like there's the the rock lobster industry. There's the pork prawn industry. There's the southern bluefin tuna industry. There's the abalone industry. There's um, um, uh, um, the 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 king kingfish. Um, in industry over here at the moment, and I'm a I'm a director of um, on the uh, Clean Seas Board. So you know we've we've got a, a multitude of different sites here in Port Lincoln as well. So it's a it's a real a real seafood hub, so to speak, um, in in Port Lincoln. And um, 
you know, certainly um, aquaculture is the main driving part of the Port Lincoln economy, along with um, um, agriculture farming as well. Founded by Hagen Steer in 1972, Steer Fishing is a family-owned company with a heritage of over 50 years fishing the vast open waters of the Southern Ocean off Port Lincoln. Steer Fishing is recognised as one of Australia's leading seafood companies, pioneering sustainability of resources. Specialising in the offshore ranching and grow out of southern bluefin tuna, Steer are regarded globally as being at the forefront of change, constantly pursuing opportunities to improve the quality and value of their catch with a working eye to sustainability. This year's history in fishing was, you know, like when Hagen first, you know, first came to the country as an immigrant and he he, he was on a on a um, on a big cargo vessel and a training ship which was sort of r- routing all the, all around the world. He 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 liked it in Port Leak and he basically jumped ship and decided to stay without a passport, but that's another story in itself. And then he actually worked worked on the roads to start with and worked for um Cresco laying laying tar down on on the roads, but after he did that for a while, he um he he got into the abalone industry and bought himself an abalone license and um and then became um an abalone diver and then he sort of started building himself up on 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 the back of that. Then from abalone, he sort of morphed into um, prawn fishing. We bought a couple of prawn boats, um, and then he went prawn fishing, and then from that we. We got into uh, fish trawling for a while, and um, and then we got into the tuna, into the southern bluefin tuna fishery in um, Port Lincoln, and we've gone from there. But in addition to all of that, um, we we also built a big vessel called the Tasman Dawn with a helicopter on it and helicopter pad and a very, very big boat. And I, we sort of took that into the Pacific, um, you know, around the equator. And we used to do a lot of fishing around uh, around there in the very early days. And we we fished in American Samoa and we fished in Pago Pago. And, you know, we, we went through a full cycle in the Pacific. We used to go to sea for three months at a time. And then we would bring in about 1,800 tonne at a time. And then we would unload those fish in American Samoa. That would take about three weeks to unload and then we would head back out to sea for another three months. So we sort of did all of that and um, then in addition to all of that, we we set up a, a fish farming business in Croatia. So I, I, I used to um, go tuna fishing here out of Port Lincoln and once the fish were caught here, then I would, um, I, I would jump on a plane and fly over to Zagreb and then from Zagreb to uh, Split and um, and and there was a um, there was a island in Croatia called the island of Brach and then we had a marine operations set up in uh, Milner and a place called Sulpeta and then um, we did a joint venture over there with a New Zealand based company and you know I as a consequence of that, I spent the next three years over in Croatia, fish farming over there. So, um, you know, we've um, we've definitely experienced all 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 aspects of fishing. Put it that way. The southern bluefin tuna industry is intricately orchestrated and powerfully driven, fighting against the rough waters of the Great Australian Bight. 
It relies on an awesome demonstration of teamwork, with each step relying on the successful completion of the one prior. Years of experience, research and attention to detail feed into the practice, yielding a world-class premium seafood. So what we um, look, and it's actually happening right now, right as we speak, this, this, time, of the, this time of the year, um, you know, like as the seasons change, we're going from um, winter into a summer pattern, we're starting to get some really nice weather, they're sort of the starting to get more of the southeasterlies, the water temperature starting to increase. But um, you know, look, we've we've got a, we've got two aircrafts, two three three sevens, and we've got um, a very good fish potter called Philip Gibson, and we've got very good um, pilots as well. And so they're they're just starting to 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 head out now. Like the we've already done three or four flights, and you know we, we've gone down um, as far as Portland looking for tuna, and we've gone as far as the um, w- Western Australia border, which is on the you know 129 degrees um, longitude. So right now the planes are out there. We're, we're trying to find the best areas of tuna and the biggest fish where we can tow our tow our cages to and um, our cages will probably leave to go to sea on about the 20th. We normally go out there over the Christmas period and certainly over over New Year's, but we will tow our cages out to the fishing areas and then once we get out there, we'll use the aircrafts and spotter planes. Um, we'll use our fish finding boats that have got crow's nests in them and then we've got all, um, you know, electronic fishing equipment like sonars echo sounders um, um, and, and and we'll be looking for the fish whether they're like you know flattening patches or whether they're ripplers or whether they're colors in the water or whether the fish are shining fish um, or they're bird patches or we find them on the echo sounders so it's so um, you know like it's quite an art to look for the fish hunt the fish down and find them. It's like we're, we're you know, hunters and gatherers at, at, at the end of the day and you learn your craft over many, many years. But anyway, once we find those fish, the pole boat will find the fish, get on top of the school, and once you've got them, they're like sheep. They, they, they follow the pole boat and you might pick up a few more catches and then you can, a few more patches and then you can look behind the boat and you might have a hundred ton, 150 ton of fish just following the boat, following the boat. Then when you think you've got enough fish, you'll call the persainer in, which is normally fairly close. And the persainer will make a big shot around the, around the pole boat and then they'll purse the net up underneath the pole boat and then you'll be then the pole boat drives over the top of the net over the top of the net and then you're left you know with a net full of fish and you might have 100 ton 150 ton of fish in the net and then you'll slowly close the net close the net and then and in the meantime the tow boat with the tow cage comes alongside the persane at the per se net and then we've got a, a a hole in in the net and the fish are transferred from from the per se fishing net into the holding cage and then once that cage is full and it might take a month or two months to full to fill the tow cage up with fish 
Then the fish are towed back to to Port Lincoln at a very, very slow speed, like one knot. It might take you a month to get to, to, to tow the fish back to Port Lincoln. And once the fish have been towed back to Port Lincoln, then we will transfer the fish into holding um, cages. And we do that with camera equipment and we've got AFMA and Protec down and, and every single fish is accounted for. It's counted individually into um, whole holding pens. And then, and then over the next um, 68, uh, 60, 70 days, we will, we will feed those fish, you know, with lots of bait fish and, um, and, 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 fatten the fish up and they might have a condition in index of, of 14.5 and um, once we've got them to a saleable size and um, fatness then, then then we'll start selling them into the into the various markets whether it's Japan whether it's China whether it's new markets we sell, we sell the, the fish um, um, fresh and we also sell it um, frozen, and um, we get big Japanese reefer boats which circumnavigate the globe, and they come out from from Japan, and they they come via the Mediterranean, like you know Tunisia and um, and and places like that, and they come to Port Lincoln, and then them they're big freezer boats with big minus sixty freezers on board, and the fish are all processed, gilled and gutted, head on tail on. Um, it's a very very um, you know good way of, you know, getting large volumes of fish out of the, out of the water quite quickly. And then, and then the fish are, are transported by sea all, all the way over to um, Japan and that sort of keeps Japan going. And, um, you know, the fish are sold into um, various supermarkets and sold into other destinations around the world. So it's, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, quite a big operation. Fishing families are inevitably not only multi-generational, but often intergenerational. For the Steer family, this included Marcus's sister, whose aviation skills became an integral part of the business operations. Yasmin was our, was our fish spotter and pilot. She used to work for National, National Jet Systems, and then I was skippering the boats and that. So in the early days, we used to work um, a, a lot together um, on that front, which, which was which was great, but um, we certainly invested a lot of money in, you know, like in, in going over to Samoa and, work, and working around the the equator, around the um, zero line, and we were catching skipjack and yellowfin and northern bluefin, and we were fishing on rafts and pylons. And um, I, I've got one one story I'll, I'll never forget it. We were fishing in. New Guinea and like in New Guinea there are these certain sections where you can fish and certain sections where you can't fish and there were these rafts and we used to fish on these different rafts every night and do a shot very early in the morning and we were fishing off of Rabal and um, you know we must have just drifted over the line and um, and the and the uh, fisheries came out and um Anyway, as a consequence of that, we got into into a bit of trouble. I got thrown in jail for about three days, and Brian Jeffries and um, and um, Hagen had to fly over and get us out of jail. And we got out of jail and had to pay some money, and then we jumped back on the boat and went fishing again. But um, yeah, I'm not sure how much I can say <laughs> and how much I can't say. But they were back in the very, very early heady. 
fishing days, you know. I mean, like we've had a great life and a really great experience and foray into um in 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 into the fishing business, and um that was really good. I mean, even even as a kid, we, you know, me and a, my best mate, we used to go mash netting in the bay with big mash nets and beach nets and persane nets, and you know, and back then you could do all of those things, you know unregulated and and um and and things like that but you know whereas these days there's a lot more rigors and a lot more disciplines in in what you can and you can't do and i guess that's a good thing but it's also a bad thing as as well i mean you know back in the early days i mean fishermen were really fishermen you know what i mean and and you know and everybody or certainly a lot of people wanted to be a part of the fishing industry, a part of the tuna industry. Crews were crews were good to get and you could get a lot of people and the crews were very competitive and they were very, you know, very good people. Whereas today I feel um, the fishing industry is getting left, left behind quite a bit. There's not a lot of young people that, that want to be challenged or that want to go out to sea and want to go fishing and be in a, be in a different um, in, in, in environment. And, um, and, that's, and that's sort of where we're lacking today. Our, our history is great and we want to portray that to, to, to everybody. And, you know, we want to try to bring people along for the ride and get, you know, and create more fishermen and get more kids that want to be involved in the fishing industry back then there was a lot of money to be made and it was seen as gung-ho and everybody wanted to be a part of it whereas you know these days you know the kids are on the computers and things like that and everyone's living a sheltered existence and and um you know somehow we want to be a lot more creative i know seafood industry australia is doing um a, a lot of work on that front i've always always really admired the norwegians and the and the japanese and i can remember going over to japan many times and we we used to sit in the in the karaoke bars and and you know there was songs being sung of of fishermen you know of fishermen leaving their wives and their wives in tears and it was you know the the fishermen are really elevated and put on on a pedestal fishermen are like doctors and lawyers and scientists i mean you know and it's the same in norway in places like that i mean the um, fishing industry is 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 elevated in society whereas whereas in australia um We've still got a fair way to go on on that front, and um, you know, and hopefully we can over the years to come we can achieve that that status. I mean, we don't want to be left behind in Australia. The southern bluefin tuna industry has worked tirelessly to recover the population of southern bluefin tuna after years of unregulated fishing, from the implementation and management of a strict quota system the use of cutting-edge technology, improved feed and post-harvest value-adding to make their fish more cook-friendly, the bluefin tuna industry in Australia has come a long way. We, we've gone from an El Nino to more of a Lanina um, 
you know, environmental weather pattern I, I've, over the last four or five years, and for some reason that's changed the um, the um, habitats of the fish. Also, the um, also the drilling, um, you know, the drilling for oil and that, um, and doing these seismic surveys since 2012. I think that's um, that's altered the um, habitat as well. So, so the fish have shifted more. Like, you know, in the traditional grounds, we used to catch the fish southwest of Port Lincoln, south of Streaky Bay, south of Sejuna, south of. Um, Western Australia, out, out on out on the continental shelf, right smack bang in the middle of the Great Australian Bight. We've caught a hell of a lot of fish out that way. But in more recent times, since 2012, the fish have been transgressing more to the southeast. And now we seem to be catching a lot more fish down off of Robe and Port Lincoln. Is it good? Is it bad? Um, um, for the fishermen having to change our focus, looking at new fishing areas and that, um, it's probably become a little bit more. It's probably become a little bit more difficult um, for us. Um, so you know, I'm hoping in time um, when we get back to more neutral wet weather systems and that, um, the the fish will sort of start to work back to the traditional grounds and areas where we used to um, first catch the fish many years ago. The influence the Japanese market has had on Australian fisheries is mostly understated. The quality and consistency of many of the seafoods produced in our waters is a direct reflection of the impact the Japanese buyer has had on determining how a seafood is caught, handled and even prepared. For a young professional fisherman, was also a place of immense intrigue and opportunity. For me as a child, I mean, I used to go with my father to Japan when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And obviously going from, you know, going from Australia over to Japan and it like it's experiencing all of the the treasures and pleasures of, um, of, of Japan was certainly a eye-opener for me, but one of the single biggest things for me that I can really remember is going to the Skiji markets and um, um, it's just no other place like that in the world, just the sheer size and magnitude of those markets. It's almost like a tin shed over all, all of Port Lincoln and just the multitudes of different fresh, like from fresh fish to frozen fish to live fish and, and just how they look after their produce and product and all the variability they've got in the markets and, you know, um, you know how the actual skiji markets work and going to those early morning auctions and building up relationships with the auctioneers over, over many, many years, um, that, 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 that was a true pleasure. And then going to those little sashimi bars and, um, you know, and just spending time with the Japanese people and, and our customers and all that. I mean, that's, that's, that's something, you know, I, I will, I will never forget. I, 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 I love Japan for that. And it's, it's really been a fantastic ride. It's been a fantastic journey. Obviously, you know, er, earlier on, there was, you know, like in, in the real heady days, we used to, you know, like, like the prices were fantastic. We were getting like 2,500 yen a kilo for our fish and the exchange rate was, 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 
you know, was um, 65 to 70 yen to the dollar. And we used to get paid for all of our product in Japanese yen. And, and um, you know, we were, we were getting $1,000 for one fish. And, you know, we would be farming 30,000 fish. You know what I mean? So it's like it gives it, it just give, give, gives you some idea of, 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 of the value of the fish, you know. Um, so, so it was just, um, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, it, it was really, it was really good. But um, obviously now the, you know, the, the business is, is is a lot harder. The um, the exchange rates aren't as good. There are a lot of other companies now, a lot of other countries now supplying Japan with um, fresh tuna products from right around the globe, and that sort of put a lot of downward pressure on Southern Bluefin tuna, and that's. That's why, like, I've been doing a lot of work over the last two years with Kin, and we've just got, you know, two other fantastic companies with us, like the Steer Group and Blaslofts and Lukens, and, and we're working together for all the reasons that I outlined earlier, you know, like firstly, in a marine operations sense, to, um, to really bring our costs down, but also to focus on new exciting markets and, you know, using the head to the tail, using every part of the fit fish we can and, you know, trying to be a lot more sustainable and, and, and having a larger product range and, you know, looking, um, you know, tr trying to sell the sake blocks and things like that rather than just sell the whole fish to, to Japan. So that's, that's very much my focus moving forward. Ask any fisherman about their favourite story, and it's inevitably about how they challenged the status quo to find the best fish. Often these stories can end in tears or trauma. They can also end in an they can also end in an amazing success. I was long line fishing down down out of Hobart and south of Hobart. There's a big seamount down there, and it's called Matt Syker Seamount. But just to give you some idea. I was down there fishing long lining and and we caught about 25 fish for, for the trip. The biggest fish was 200 kilos gilled and gutted. And at that time, we, we got 21,500 yen a kilogram for that for that fish. And, um, and the exchange rate was 65 yen to, to the dollar. You guys can do the maths. But for that one fish, we got $77,000. And when I, when, when I bought that fish in, I jumped on, on an aeroplane and I flew over to Japan and I went to the skidging fish, fish markets and I watched that fish being auctioned off and that price that that we got and for the trip we got about a dozen dozen of the fish but of course that was the biggest ones but there were fish ranging from 200 kilos down to down to about 80 kilos but anyway i flew over to japan watched that fish being auctioned flew flew back to flew back to um hobart and went back fishing again and then we caught some other beautiful fish the following trip so that's that's one trip that really um, sticks in my mind. Marcus Steer's enthusiasm for the future of Australia's fishing industry is infectious. Despite the many challenges, his commitment to the next opportunity is an inspiration to us all. I still think we're in a very exciting 
fishery. I mean, you know, you've got to love what you do to be any good at it, whether you're a fisherman or whether you're anything else in, 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 in this life. But I still see a lot of positivity in, in, in the tuna industry. I think, yes, the industry has gone through some hard times, um, you know, ju just with the fishery it's, itself and pricing and things like that. But I, I can I can really, you know, that's happened over the last two or three years. I've certainly seen some uplift over the last 12 to, to 24 months as far as pricing goes and structure goes. And, um, you know, the weather's looking good. I think we should have a good a good fishing season this year. We've just got to, you know, be, be re 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 really focused. A lot of the... You know, like, like if, if you really look at, at the owners of the tuna industry in the past, you know, there was there was half a dozen very strong, robust individuals that basically owned mo most of the quota in Australia. They, they, they all lived in Port Lincoln. They were all incredibly um, passionate, innovative um, and, and um, competitive men. And, and I think that worked well for the industry many, many years ago, like, you know, to get the industry to where it is today. But I think moving forward, the key is to work with the rest of the, the, the to work with the rest, uh, rest of the industry and, you know, work together as one unit you know, and, and look together in new markets and, you know, and how we can value add our fish and, and what we can what we can do moving forward, which is really going to create and add value to, to, to the tuna industry. So I think I, I think it's just a, a new a new era now. We've got to you know, we've got to focus on the positive ways we can change the tuna industry now. I mean, we just can't do the same things we've done in the industry for the last 25 years because that, you know, and you know yourself, John, that doesn't work. You've got to forever, you've got to be, be changing, looking at new ideas, a new way of doing things, new feeding technology, new new ways of of, of of running your business. And I think what we're doing now with, with Kin certainly, with Kin certainly, um, we're looking at new innovative ways to um, run our business and, and ultimately be, be more profitable. You can always pick a true fisherman. It's all about the fish. Solitude, the ocean and the opportunity for that elusive great catch are a giveaway trait of someone for whom the hunt is their greatest motivation. I'm fortunate because I really love the industry and I love a lot of things I do. I actually really love going out, tuna fishing myself, switching off the phone and, and just getting out there, you know, with all of my staff on three or four you know, different boats and really marshalling our, our staff and just just really focusing on the catching operations because it's really weird. When, when you get out to sea, you, you that's the whole thing in your life. You don't speak to your girlfriends or your partners or anything like that. You're out there and you've just got one goal and you want to catch the biggest and best fish and you want to be better than everybody else so, so that really keeps me focused that's that's a real challenge in itself and interacting with all your staff which you know during the rest of the season when you're in you might not see everybody so getting out there and doing that part of the business I really enjoy I really enjoy the interaction with with, with everybody else but on the back of it when we're in the traveling going to Japan kin 
the new relationships I'm forging, forging the new products we're, we're doing. Um, I sort of really enjoy that part of it as well. So um, I guess I'm, I'm fortunate um, as far as that goes. But yeah, that'd be the areas I really enjoy. Although Australia is a relatively young country with a limited history in fishing, we can be truly proud of some of our fishing families. The Steer family and their remarkable story give all in the seafood industry a reason to continually challenge the status quo, to always seek to do better and to never stop innovating. Marcus Steer and his family are a motivation to all in seafood, with his eternal drive for the next adventure and a deep love of fishing a real inspiration. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtales Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtalespodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.